Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. We had, uh, I heard about one of our small groups in the church this week. You saw some of the pictures there. They were in regular small group mode, you know, Bible reading, discussion, prayer kind of stuff. And somehow it came out that in the home they were meeting in, there was a costume bin. (laughs) So they scrapped what was going on and all started dressing up in the different stuff. And you know what I thought of that as a pastor? I was so happy to hear about that. You know why? And I was talking about this with our leadership council this weekend. I mean, if a small group was doing that every week, I would have concerns about them. (laughs) But if they can leave the plan one week and even put the Bible aside for a little few moments and prayer aside for a few moments and have some great laughs and some good moments, do you know what I know about that group? That group is made up of three couples. The next time one of the guys in the group has to open up about something, when he's sitting knee to knee with the other two guys, he feels safer with them. He'll be ready to open his soul in a better way, receive prayer for the deepest stuff in his soul. Why? Because he's bonded and they just had some fun together. You need to have fun with other Christian friends during the week. You must do it. If it's all um, serious stuff all the time, it gets hard when life gets challenging. But when you have fun with others, You're at ease with them. And how many of you know life throws real surprises at us? And it's in those moments you need people that you feel safe with. We call them your first phone call friends. Your first phone call friends probably shouldn't be some casual people you work with or an acquaintance here or there who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Your first phone call friends needs to be somebody who has similar faith in Jesus to yours, maybe even stronger faith in Christ than yours, that when you go through a hard time, they're the first one you call and you say, I don't know what to do about this, but can you pray for me? And so I was so thrilled to hear about the goofy time that they had. Now, if it carries on, I'll shut it down. (laughs) But I know those people. And they love Jesus, and they're going to keep being in his word. They're going to keep praying for each other. They're going to keep reaching out together towards others who don't know Jesus yet. And they're going to have fun while they do it. So well done to that group, and I just think it's great. Okay, as we go into, uh, this is now the fourth week of this series. You've got a friend in me. Some of you might be thinking, why are we doing a series on friendship? I mean, we were just doing a series before this on Genesis, and there were some really good meat and potatoes of scripture on that. We're coming into later in June a series beginning a long journey for our church through the book of Revelation. Ooh, sounds like a lot of meat and potatoes there. Yeah. So why the fluffy stuff of friendship? Try living your life without friends. How's that going for you? (laughs) My goodness, if we don't have people alongside us in this life of like heart, like mind in faith, if we don't share in friendships under the roof of our home with our spouse, with our children, if you don't have spiritual friends in your life, if you don't have DNA relationships, discipleship, nurturing, accountability, the kind of DNA relationships that can abandon a spiritual moment to have an even more spiritual moment and play dress up and laugh together for a while. You're missing out on something God created for you to enjoy and for you to invest in for the sake of others. Friendship is essential for family. 
Friendship is essential for discipleship. Friendship is essential for evangelism. And if we're weak in friendship, we are weak. And so it's worth us giving eight weeks of attention to this idea of friendship together. Now today, um, the last two weeks, Laura and I talked about DNA relationships from a couple different texts and points of view. Discipleship, nurturing, and accountability. All of us need one or two people of the same gender that are close spiritual friends that we meet with often. Today I want to identify something that some of you have probably already been feeling or thinking or aware of, and I just want to sort of say it flatly. We have a problem. <laughs> and the problem is this, porcupines and Bonhoeffer. <laughs> is that clear? Porcupines and Bonhoeffer. Um, how, how is that our problem? Let me explain. There's an 18th century German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer, who wrote a parable called Porcupines in the Cold. And it's cute. Look it up online. You can read it. It's not very long. But you get the point, I think, quite quickly. Can you imagine a group of porcupines in cold weather? <laughs> They're looking to warm up. And so how, what's the best way to warm up? Get close to each other. So the porcupines get close to get each other. And what happens? Ouch, right? And so they think that's painful, so they retreat from their, the warmth of community to isolation, and what do they find out? Well, I don't like being cold. I need to be close to others. So they come back to community, and they feel what? Ouch. And they retreat, and they're cold and isolated, and that hurts too. That's a problem, isn't it? I think you're connecting the dots toward relationships. Now, that's the porcupine part of the problem. What's the Bonhoeffer part of the problem? Some of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in some of his writing, he identifies, I think, a hard truth for us to have to face, especially as Christians. Um, and it's essentially this. He says it kind of like this. The one who loves community destroys it. But the one who loves people builds community. And it's pretty insightful, isn't it? That if we obsess over our love of community, and we have a, a vision for community, we actually can become destructive to community because we're thinking first about how it should function in an idealistic way to serve us. But if our focus instead is not on our love of community, but loving people, what is the beautiful byproduct of loving people? Community. So Bonhoeffer identifies part of the problem as well. So we have a problem. It's porcupines and it's Bonhoeffer. What does that actually mean? What's the porcupine Bonhoeffer problem? You've felt this. You've seen this. It's found, I think, in three words. Ready? Having friends hurts. <laughs> having friends hurts. And that reality gives us two options in life. Option one, uh, avoid the hurt of friendship and isolate. And then feel the pain of loneliness instead. So option one is loneliness and pain. Option two is friends and pain. 
Love, this is one of the hardest truths to have to say, but I think you're ready for it. Love always means pain. And all the idealists in the room are like, why does it have to be that way? And I don't have that answer for you today, but I'm just pointing out that truth. Love always equals pain. When there's love, it means there will be irritation. <laughs> when there's love, it means there will be misunderstanding. It means there will be disappointment. It means there will be loss. And that is painful. Having friends hurts. If your spouse is your friend, you will experience hurt. If your kids are your friends, you will experience hurt. If your small group are your friends, if you can dress up and laugh together in your small group, guess what? That small group are going to be hurt by each other. If you have DNA relationships, you are going to experience hurt. If you have social media friends, I don't have to tell you, you already know, you were hurt as soon as you said accept or decline the friendship request. So what do we do when friendships hurt? I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter, we're going to start at the end of chapter 3. Ephesians, the end of chapter 3. If the idea of Ephesians is a newer one to you, let me just give you a few little background thoughts on the book of Ephesians. It's one of the letters that one of the early church leaders named Paul, also known sometimes as Paul the Apostle, it's, it's a letter he wrote to a group of Christians, a new church that was existing in an ancient city of Ephesus. And um, Paul is writing, not in Ephesus to them, he's actually in Rome at the time, he's in prison, and he cares deeply for the churches that he has relationship with, so he's writing letters to them. And so this is the copy that was sent to the Ephesian church. And essentially, the book of Ephesians can be summarized in one sentence. Ephesians is a letter about God's purpose for the church and your part in it. Now, what's interesting is the book of Ephesians is really one book in two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are about God's purpose in the church. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are about your part in God's church. So where we are today, starting at the end of chapter 3, is really at the pivot point from part 1 into part 2. I want you to follow along in your Bible with me. I did hear some scriptures, actually. You know, that was nice, the paper. So, and I hear just some people being really kind to me now. They're like, I'm already there, but I'm just, I'm making paper sounds for you, Pastor Mike. That's so nice. Thank you. Let, let's start in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to read all the way through 4, verse 7. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And with that, part one of Ephesians concludes, and now we go into part two. As a prisoner for the Lord, and literally, he's where? In prison, in Rome, writing to this church. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is 
over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given. Within the text that we're looking at today, I think there are three ideas or three elements that I think rise to the surface for us to consider today that speak to the real reality of having friends hurts. And here's what we should consider in light of that. First thing that rises to the surface is this idea of diversity. The text today is bracketed by diversity. Look at how it ends in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given. And in this context, when Paul is speaking of grace, he's not talking about saving grace. He's talking about a special kind of gifted grace for service. A gifting for serving in God's church, serving in God's world. And you and I know we're not all gifted the same way. We have a variety of different strengths, gifts, and ability. It's evidences of God's grace at work in the church. The fact that we're quite different in our giftings and strengths from each other is a symbol of God's strength to the church. We're diverse, and that's wonderful. So that's at the end of the text. What's at the very beginning? God's glory in what? All generations. Well, each generation are very different from each other, aren't they? There's a diversity of generations alive in this church family right now. We have five generations under the same roof today. Very different from each other. Diversity was a reality in the ancient church, and it's a reality in our church today. It's a reality in your relationships. I want you to think about this. Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and they're not all the same people sitting together in somebody's home listening to this letter being read to them. It's a very diverse church. In the Ephesian church, there were slaves and there were masters. How do we know? Paul has a section written to slaves and then he has a section written to masters. Imagine that. They're all part of the same church. We have employees and we have employers. We have husbands. We have wives. We have children. We have parents. We have people of Jewish background in the Ephesian church. And we have people of non-Jewish background in the Ephesian church. They're all coming together, forming one new family in Christ. It's important for us to understand that God has offered the world diversity by design. When you find somebody that's different than you, that's good news. Having friends hurts, and sometimes we blame it on the fact that people are so different than us. Have you ever had a moment where you realize how annoying you are? <laughs> you know what it's like when you like listen to a recording and you can hear yourself talk? Like, Have you ever had that happen on the phone or you see a video of yourself and you're like, Oh, do I sound like that? Or you see yourself like cracking a joke in a video and you're like, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> Can you imagine if the world was all just duplicating? You know, sometimes we live in this fantasy world where we're like, why can't everybody just be like me? Do you know how awful that would be for you? We think that would be great. It's a lose-lose situation. We think it's awful because everybody's so different. Well, if they were all the same like you, it would be even worse, right? And I'm not saying you're a bad person. It would be our own hell. You and I were created for diversity. It's a beautiful part of God's intention for the church and for the world. So one idea that rises from the text is that diversity is important. It's essential. And yes, this actually helps us begin to cope with the reality that having friends hurts. 
It actually prepares us for being able to respond and heal in the midst of some of those hurts. So we see diversity, and then we see something else, and this is beautiful, to have both diversity and then what? Unity. What do we see in the text? Let me read again from verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There, now, listen to how often the word one is used after this. The, the word one talks, it, it's, it's meaning like diversity of things coming in together into oneness. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It could have been that those last few verses were an ancient creed in the church that they would repeat, recite, and memorize and share from time to time. It spoke of the unity of God and the unity of the church in the midst of their diversity. If you were to flip ahead in chapter 4 to verse 15 and 16, listen to how it's worded there. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, so it's talking about the church being a body, is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I think we've heard, many of us, how throughout the New Testament, the church is sometimes described as a body. Well, the body isn't made up of one same part. It's multiple, very diverse parts that each have an important function. And when it all comes together, it forms a body. And that's you and I unified in Christ. Now, it's important to just maybe burst another bubble. For some people, they think unity has to equal uniformity. And that's not the case biblically. You don't have to be the exact same version of somebody else. You get to be you. And it's okay for you to have differing points of views and ideas than others at times. It's totally okay. Unity does not equal uniformity. So there's diversity. There's a call to unity. And then there's a third thing, I think, that lives in this text that helps us in the context of a world where having friends hurts, and we wonder, how do, I, how do I navigate this? How do I respond when there is a friendship that's hurting? The third thing, I think, that's in this text is character. The kind of character necessary both to keep friends and repair friendships. And you and I both need to be good at keeping friends and repairing friendships, because why? Having friends hurts. So there will be times that there's fractures, misunderstandings, disappointments, hurts, pains. It doesn't, doesn't mean it has to be the end of the friendship. But character, biblical, Christ-like character, can help us keep friends and repair friendships. Let's look again at verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Now, I want you to just think, what, what would the opposites of, be, of these be? The opposites of all of this would be not good character traits for friendships. Proud, brash, you know, bold and bulldozing, uh, impatient, not bearing one another in love. So instead, Paul says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, every effort. Could you say every effort? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I don't know what you imagine ancient churches to be like, but we get clues by listening to the kind of things that ancient 
biblical writers are addressing in church life. So if Paul's having to say this kind of stuff about character like this, we might imagine that they're a pretty normal church where people aren't always getting along. There's normal friendships occurring in the Ephesian church. They're a diverse group. They're being called to unity. And Paul's reminding them, you need some good character traits, the character traits of Christ, that will help you navigate how to keep friendships and then repair the friendships that get fractured in the times where a mistake is made, a hurt happens, a misunderstanding has occurred. Now, again, what might the Ephesian church be like? Flip ahead with me to, in, in chapter 4 to verse 29. And we're going to read to 32 here. Listen to this. And maybe as you listen to this, it's worth asking, why is Paul having to write this? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Why is Paul writing that? What does the Ephesian church maybe have a non-spiritual gift in? Unwholesome talk. (laughs) So do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. What in the world is this Ephesian church like? It sounds like a hockey game from the 80s and 90s where it's like, we just, we were trying to have a church service. All of a sudden there was a brawl over there because somebody took somebody else's seat. We had a brawl in the parking lot because there's too many spaces taken up and somebody had to park in the grass. They had a fight about it. And Paul's saying, listen, you got to get rid of brawling. It doesn't belong in the church. along with every form of malice. Yikes, this Ephesian church, eh? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. I think when when Paul is writing these things to the Ephesian church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has the ways of Jesus and the words of Jesus in mind. And I want to remind you of two things Jesus said on the subject of friendships that hurt and how we respond to it. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus says this, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, I want to say this again, <laughs> when you stand praying or worshiping or whatever it is, if you hold anything against Anyone. Wow, this is pretty big. It's not if you hold a little bit of something against somebody. It's if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. The thought here might be that relational breakdowns bring an interruption into our connection with God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so what is he talking about here in their context? If you are worshiping God, if you're in a worship moment, and there you remember that your brother or sister, so faith family, not just literal family, that your brother or sister has something against you. The last passage was if you have something against somebody else. This passage, Jesus is saying, listen, if you know somebody's got something against you, don't treat that casually. You've got something to do. Leave your worship there in front of the altar. First, can you say first? First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. These are big words from Jesus. I think almost every Christian on the planet would say, the most important thing in my faith walk is to worship God. 
And biblically, there's so much about that statement that is true, but we have to balance it by what Jesus says here. Okay, if worship's important, guess what? If you're at odds with somebody else, repair it because it interrupts your worship. It, it, it interferes with the most important thing you're called to. It could be that Jesus is pointing out to us that how we relate to one another is part of our worship. So if somebody's got something against you, do the hard work of trying to repair it. If you've got something against somebody else, do the hard work of trying to repair it. Why? Because how we relate to one another is part of how we worship Jesus. What's the priority? Repairing relationships, repairing friendships. If you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, I didn't hear any papers. You must all be on your apps, your Bible apps, right? Galatians chapter 5, I want you to see this with me. It's a familiar text. We've actually referenced it earlier in the series, but I want to visit it again. Galatians chapter 5, verse. I'm going to start in verse 16. We're going to go all the way to verse 21. Paul's writing to a church there, also struggling, but filled with God's Spirit and has all kinds of hope. And he says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And then Paul is now going to list all kinds of nasty sins. Brace yourselves. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I'm going to pause there for a second. I want to put that list of sins up on the screen for you to see. Paul lists all kinds of sins. You may not have observed this before, but they're in four categories. The first category are sexual sins, immorality, impurity, debauchery. Second category, idolatry and witchcraft, which are false worship sins. The fourth category are sins of excess, drunkenness and orgies. What's the third category? Relational sins. How much focus and attention does Paul give to the urgency and priority of tending to things that interfere in relationships. Eight are mentioned there. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Sounds like a list from Pride and Prejudice or something like that. It's awful, but I want you to see visually right now how important it was to Paul as he's caring for the church and as the Spirit is guiding him to pen words that would help that church and our church and your friendships today. Yes, all of the other sins are wicked and awful and we must give attention to them, but look how much disproportionate attention is given to the subject of relational sins. Ooh. So what does Paul say to that? Live by the Spirit, not by your flesh. He carries on in verse 21 saying this, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh. Some of us, as we've read this passage before, we think of the first two categories and the fourth one. We're like, if people do that kind of stuff, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> well, look how much stuff is in category three. And if we're honest, we're all guilty of things in there. We need the Spirit to help us. Here's the good news, though. In verse 22, it says, if you have the Spirit in your life, here's what you can expect. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wow. When you read the fruit of the Spirit, how many of the nine fruit of the Spirit relate to relationships? I think almost all of them do. I think that would mean you and I are in desperate need of the help and presence of the Spirit in our lives to help us excel in relationships. So, how do we handle it when relationships hurt, when friendships hurt? What do we do? I want to give just a few practical thoughts that I think will be helpful for us today. First, I want to point this out. I believe there is a difference between conflict, conflict resolution and relational reconciliation. That might be a new thought for some of us to consider today. You can have conflict resolution without relational reconciliation. And it may have solved a problem, but the biggest problem is not solved yet. Is that clear? The priority is relational reconciliation first, then conflict resolution. Friends, it is possible to have relational reconciliation and not yet have conflict resolution and be okay. That is Kirsty. She works on our team. Her phone would not stop talking. Maybe you want to mute your phone now too. Um, let me just say what I just said in case you were listening to whatever her phone was talking about. It is possible to have relational reconciliation and not yet have conflict resolution and be okay. Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this, just because you feel differently than someone else about something doesn't mean your relationship has to change. We have such a great example. We have many great examples in the life of our church. But I want to just talk about one friendship I know of in our church. Do we have a picture? Is that there? This is um, Claire Farnell and Brenda Claire. <laughs> I think they found a costume bin as well. <laughs> Brenda is the one who had the utterance in the service earlier. So if you're looking to see who that was, that's Brenda there. Um, they are great friends. Many of you know them. Many of you who are newer to our church in the last years, you, you may not have gotten to know them quite well just yet. But I deeply admire and respect the friendship I observe in them. I remember in the first year we were here, we were trying to have a very serious and important meeting about small groups. And so Calvin and Claire are sitting at a table, and at the same table, Dale and Brenda are sitting, and of course, Brenda and... Um, Claire are sitting right next to each other, and they were totally distracting and disruptive the whole meeting. <laughs> it was like I had two grade twos, and everybody else was being an adult in the meeting. Um, they may have peed themselves, I'm not sure. <laughs> but we had to get chairs cleaned afterwards, and um, they were just having the best time. They've known each other for decades. Life has moved them around the country and around the world. And in the last few years, now they live in the same town again. And their friendship has just resumed in the most wonderful way. They care for each other. They are first phone call friends. 
When there's something to celebrate, they talk to each other. When there's something hard, they talk to each other. They pray for each other. They know the deep, dark secrets in each other's lives. Do you know what I so admire maybe the most about their friendship? And maybe I'm privy to some of this information because I'm their pastor. There are some pretty big issues in the world. You know how there's like been controversial stuff that has happened in our world in the last few years? Maybe in the realm of politics or... uh, pandemics, they don't see eye to eye on all the things. They really, really don't. In fact, they hold some very opposing views on some things that for some people, that means an end to the friendship, an end to the relationship. And they have found a powerful way to embrace one another, be okay with the differences, and continue in strong friendship. To me, this is a great example of DNA relationships in the life of our church. You don't have to find somebody who's exactly like you to the nth degree. You need to wait and be patient, and God will bring friends into your life. And guess what? The deeper you get as friends, the more you will find that you're different than that person. A lot of healthy marriages actually have a lot of stuff in common where the the partners, husband and wife, have a lot of compatibility traits. Guess what? The more compatible you are, still the longer you're in marriage, the more different you find you are from each other. And it's possible for you to continue maintaining healthy relationship. I want to give you a few lists here. The first is this, a framework for respectful conversation. Some of you may remember, I brought this up once or twice in the last couple of years, and it's helpful, I think, in this context to just bring it to you one more time. A framework for respectful conversations. When you disagree with people, we have a few options. On the extreme ends, you can either attack people when you disagree with them, or you can totally give them the silent treatment if you disagree with them. And um, therapist, Christian therapist and consultant Stephen Falk, some of you know who he is, um, proposes it doesn't have to be attacking, it doesn't have to be silent treatment. There is a third way, and he calls it respectful conversations. I'm just going to read this to you really quickly. Number one, to have respectful conversations, number one, you need to uh, genuinely be interested in a view that's not yours. Number two, you have the communication capacity to merge into the difficult topic and then merge out. Not drop in, drop a grenade, drop out. Merge in, merge out. Number three, you understand that the world is complex and on any topic, people will have contrasting views and beliefs. Number four, learning about another person's views doesn't have to threaten or trigger the need to change your view. Some of us get afraid. Well, if I open myself up to hearing what they have to say, what if I get convinced by that? What if you don't have to get convinced by that? What if you just listen to understand? Number five, to live and work in a civilized world, we will need to have social norms that we agree on and others that we do not agree on. This is a framework that will help you in times where your friendships or relationships or acquaintances differ in certain things than you. I want to pivot now to three thoughts that I want to help you. Essentials for reconciling relationships. I think there are three things that will help you when it comes to reconciling relationships. Number one is this, listen to understand. When there is a hurt in a friendship, when there is a problem in a relationship, your first goal, everybody say, my first goal. goal. Oh, say it one more time. My first goal. goal. Your first goal is to listen to understand. Why do I want you to repeat that and think about that? Because it's so counterintuitive. All of us just want the other person to understand. 
That's built into our human nature, isn't it? We have to reverse things in that moment and resist the need to try to preach and teach the other person into understanding us. If there is a conflict, your first goal is to listen to understand. And once you understand them, then it's fair. Then and only then is it fair for you to speak to be understood. Your first goal is to listen to understand. David Augsburger said this, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. When there is a conflict, there are two things that are usually going on. There's a conflict that needs to be resolved and there's a relationship that needs to be reconciled. When there is good listening, when somebody feels understood, we're now taking care of the first priority, which is reconciling the relationship, which creates a lot more ease and peace for resolving whatever the conflict may be. So, listen to understand. And friends, I need to just say this in case it's not obvious to you. Understanding the other person does not mean you agree with them. It just means you understand them. So seek to understand them. Second thing, listen to understand is first. Second thing, wise communication. Uh, wise communication. Friends, you and I need to avoid inflammatory stuff. <laughs> what might some inflammatory ways to start a sentence be? How about trying this? You always, dot, dot, dot. You never, dot, dot, dot. You wanted to, dot, dot, dot. That's a good one, hey? Because when we say, well, you wanted to... What are we doing? I've read your mind. I know your motive. You didn't say it, but I figured it out. You know what? That's not fair. It is offside. You actually cannot know somebody's else, someone else's motive until you've asked them or they've told you. And when you say, well, you wanted to, guess what the other person does? They usually don't go, well, you're right. They pick up their shield. They're like, no way. And they're reaching for their sword there so they can go, ha, and get you back. Inflammatory language escalates things. Use wise language. Instead of inflammatory stuff, I, I think it's helpful to you if you use this kind of framework. When you, dot, 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 I feel, dot, dot, dot. I want you to lock that into your minds. Next time you're in a conflict, try to say it this way. When you, da, 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 I feel, da, 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 da and fill in the blank down. That way, the other person is not hearing inflammatory stuff. You always, you never, you wanted to, they're hearing, when you do this, I feel this. They're learning how their impact, their behavior impacts you. When you, I feel. Third and final thing, after wise communication and listening to understand, real apology and real forgiveness. Boy, I think we should avoid bad apologies and fake forgiveness. I think some of the struggle most of us experience in the first year or two of marriage can be found around fake apologies and fake forgiveness. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Have you ever been part of a bad apology? I, oh man, I was pretty good at those in the first few years of marriage. Amen. So there's a hurt or an unresolved hurt. <laughs> Have you ever tried this one? You want to apologize. You were taught, I need to apologize, which means saying sorry, right? So you're like, I'm sorry that you feel that way. <laughs> Ever tried that? You're like, on the inside, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I said I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that hurts so much. 
Ooh, that's a bad apology. What's good apology? I have seen and understood how they are hurt. I've seen how I've been part of it. I am going to resist trying to excuse that or even explain it. I am going to own the fact that I have hurt that person. Just wait, Karen, we're not ready yet. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to own what's happened and apologize. So avoid fake apologies and fake forgiveness. Friends, at the cross, Jesus demonstrated for you and I real forgiveness. You see, there's also fake forgiveness, which is just saying the words but not having a heart open to the relationship being reconciled. Um, there's a habit we have in our family. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's been helping us. You know when there's an offense, sometimes when the relationship's being repaired, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then the response sometimes is, that's okay. We've kind of outlawed that's okay in our house. Because even though it still kind of means like, yeah, you're forgiven, the wording is actually a little bit confusing, isn't it? You know, that's okay. That's kind of like saying, well, what happened actually didn't matter. Uh, it's more powerful for somebody to hear that they are forgiven versus what happened, it's okay. At the cross, Jesus was not saying about your sin and mine, that's okay. He was saying, I forgive you. At the cross, Jesus was saying, I've seen all that your life has done and the pain that your independence has brought to you and to your world and I've seen what it's doing to me here on the cross and I choose to take the punishment for your sin, I choose to take the consequences for your sin into me so that you can be free. Friends, that's forgiveness. At the cross, Jesus embodied no greater love has anyone than this, that they lay down their lives for whom? Their friends. It says in Romans that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, God didn't wait for us to kind of get our act together and be nice and close. He took initiative to repair the broken relationship. While we were still in our mess, while we were still in our fury, while we were still brawling in the parking lot and in our rage, God showed up and forgave our sins. As we prepare to receive communion today, maybe just a comment. I'm so happy to have communion with real bread. Today's bread was baked by a cook from Locals Restaurant who attends our church, and Eliana Dibel has recently won another award for some sort of cooking accomplishment. I'm very proud of her. And uh, she baked two loaves of bread for us to share in communion today. And I just, I love the idea of the best of the best that we can offer. As wonderful as this bread will be, it, it pales in comparison to the full meal that's offered to us. This bread is a symbol that will nourish us in a little way. But the body of Christ heals us. Amen. Before we take communion together, I want us just to have a moment of reflection. In Corinthians, when it speaks of how we should celebrate communion together, it talks about having a moment for spiritual inventory. And today I want to make sure or point out that relational inventory is part of spiritual inventory. 
I wonder if today, as you're reflecting, you realize there is someone you need to understand better. Maybe there is someone you need to repair a relationship with. Maybe there is someone you need to forgive. I want to just allow 20 seconds or so for you to just let the Spirit speak to your heart as we take inventory and then celebrate communion together. Whatever it may be that the Spirit is speaking to your heart about, would you just give that to God and commit to a follow-up step, whatever that may be? Scripture says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. Would you hold the bread in your hand? And it says he broke it. Would you break it so that you see what was once whole has been broken? And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And its brokenness promises to your life, to your body, to your relationships, healing. Let's receive it together with thanksgiving. It says in the same way, on the same night, Christ took the cup. And he said, this cup represents a new covenant, a new agreement between people and God. It's symbolic of his blood, which represents his death, but means for you and I, life abundant and life everlasting. What a hope. Let's take the cup with thanksgiving. I'm going to call our prayer ministry team forward, those who are helping with prayer today, to just make themselves available up front. Today, there may have been something that was spoken during the service by somebody, by the Spirit of God. I don't know. Boy, we have a full complement of prayer people today. This is really good. I feel like a lot of you should take advantage of the opportunity to be prayed for. Something may have occurred in your heart during worship. When the word was shared earlier, there may have been something where you thought, oh, that was for me. Somebody needs to pray with you about that. Maybe as we talked about how friendships hurt, you're scared of friends, you're scared of people, you want somebody to pray. That would take courage, but they would love to pray with you today. Maybe today is the day you want to come make your faith in Christ formal. You can come and receive prayer today. There might be some need for healing or whatever we've talked about today. Receive prayer. Before I conclude in prayer, I just want to say this. I was so grateful for that moment where we were kind of caught off guard by something the Spirit wanted to say. We welcome that in the life of our church. It's hard for it to occur in a way where everybody can hear, especially those who are online. Each week online, there's usually at least 70 to 80 people, part of our church family, that join us online. So if that was to happen again, if you have something stirring in your heart, you think, I might, I might be open to sharing this, just come up to the front and find me or Laura and during worship and just let us know that. Because if it works... And if that's the moment for it, what we'll do is grab the microphone, bring it up on stage, and that way everybody can hear what's being said in that moment. I'm so glad for us to have the opportunity to learn together in this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a special time together today. Your Spirit is so good to us. Jesus, you are amazing. I pray now for each person as we go into your world on your mission. It's our heart's desire that the kind of love, truth, and help that we found in our lives from you would be something that touches every life in the Comox Valley, that it would move into the everyday stuff of life, your message, your ministry, that it would touch people in the Comox Valley. Help us as we bring that with your love, with your spirit. I pray your blessing over each household and each person in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Have a great, great afternoon and a wonderful week. Please come forward and receive prayer from one of these wonderful team members today. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. 
Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.